Bitcoin has long been the gold standard for cryptocurrency. Some would say it's the only real crypto. And while it is the dominant form of digital money, it does have its limitations. Although infinitely faster than wire transfers, check writing, and bank deposits, transaction time can be slow, fees can multiply, and its blockchain can be in need of digital XLAX. That's why innovation in this space is so essential. And today, we'll introduce you to Jared Tate, the founder and creator of the Digibyte blockchain, a highly decentralized blockchain. Digibytes are digital assets that cannot be destroyed, counterfeited, or hacked. It's a super fast and efficient blockchain. So many blockchains, so little time. But that's why we keep cranking out content for you, the citizens of the Republic of Bad Cryptopia. Join us as we get digi with it for episode number 138 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. A little Will Smith nod there, Mr. Mr. Will, uh, who has managed to cross over into multiple disciplines and seems like a really nice guy. He is such a nice guy. I mean, we've hung out, we've had lots of beers uh, together, Will Smith and I, and, you know, just, you know, just, we're just living the life. And Jada, Jada Pinkett. Mm-hmm. You know. Welcome to the Bad Crypto Podcast, the show for the crypto curious, crypto serious, and those who want to get digi with it. We're the blockchain blockheads. I'm Joel Com. He's Travis Wright, and we Google things so you don't have to mess with them. Because why would you want to go to Google anyway? We're getting ready to uh, drive Lambos and Ferraris, and you guys should watch for pictures about that soon. Uh, we got a comment actually from the team telling us that, hey, you guys, you know, all the reviews you're reading from iTunes, those are the U.S. reviews. And we've got all these great reviews from other sites internationally. So I thought we would read oh, from around the world. Um, read a few reviews to you. This one from Crypto Camel 007 NZ. As you might suspect, this is from New Zealand. Uh, this review is titled Mount Doom. Literally driving to Mount Doom. I live in New Zealand every Monday, forced to listen due to no radio reception and can't help think which two likely characters Joel and Travis would be from the movie Lord of the Rings. An orc and a spectacled Frodo? Wait, which is which is which? <laughs> I don't I don't know, Mister Joel Com. This is this guy's delusional fantasy, not mine. I'm guessing you're more orc like than me. You know, I think I'm an elf. You're orcish. No, I'm it's not, not an elf. They're hobbits. But there's elves. Yeah. What's the one that? What's the troll thing that has like a little short one with the hammer? What are those guys? I don't know. Are those orcs. Yeah, those are orcs. Orkies. I am not. I am not Lord of the Rings. Um, proficient i've watched i've watched a couple of them and uh, it's a pretty cool i've actually read i've actually read more of the uh read more of it than i have watched it well the books are better than the movies anyway okay take us to the netherlands what's this one say from the netherlands thanks hey there travis and joel thank you for doing this if you need some basic crypto information or if you want to hear john mcafee let loose are you interested in well-informed crypto girls this podcast brings you all the information you need some interviews are really in-depth, and others are more on the pun side. Stay bad. Jerome. Jerome. 
Uh, not too far away from the Netherlands is Austria. The best presented podcast with a lot of humor, a must for crypto lovers. The two gentlemen give a good insight into the world and the economic area of our future. Who's bad? That's from Harmeister. Thank you, Harmeister, for that. Harmeister. That was the worst Austrian accent ever. But it was kind of Arnoldish, so I'll give that to you. Thank, that you, thank you, Mr. Travis Wright. I'm surprised that you didn't mix them up there that way. You could do the France one. I, I want you to do the France one. You're the best France. You have the best Francis accent. This is just call me Francis. This is from <laughs> Jeff Nag. Top show. Great show. Even if someone did empty my ESA wallet. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. What's this? My ESA. Thanks for the reviews, gang, and keep them coming. Write them to us. Uh, more likely to be read if they are funny and if they're five-star because, you know, if, if we don't get five stars from you, then come on. I mean, you're – We don't get five stars. You know, we, we need this validation. This is what keeps us going. We want to know that we are loved. If we don't feel loved, then how, do, how are we going to go on? I can't go on knowing I'm not loved, Mr. Joel. That's Conner. right. Hey. Hey. Oh, okay. Well, um, <laughs> you guys know how to do that, so go review and make sure you subscribe. And uh, we've got a great interview for you guys today. We're getting all blockchain-y as we went to, uh, at the time of this recording, Digibyte was number 50 in the uh, crypto coin market cap. Yeah, and I had the chance to meet uh, Mr. Jared Tate uh, on, I think, three occasions now I've ran into him. And so I'm glad that we're finally able to get him on the show because he's doing some really cool stuff. And they've been doing some great stuff with Digibyte. So should we get into the interview, Mr. Joe Com? Let's do it. It's us talking tokens again, Travis. Talking tokens with Travis and Joe's. This time, it's all about an existing token that has uh, quite a few fans out there. Now, full disclosure, I've actually held some of this token for close to a year now. It's called Digibyte, or Digibyte, as some like to say, the website digibyte.co, and they are a public growing, highly decentralized blockchain. Uh, Digibytes are digital assets that cannot be destroyed, counterfeited, or hacked, making them ideal for protecting objects of value like currency, information, property, or important digital data. And we have with us the founder and the creator of the Digibyte blockchain, Mr. Jared Tate. Jared, welcome to Bad Crypto. Hello there. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, you're you're courageous. We're we're glad that uh, that you're here. And uh, Digibyte's got uh, quite a following out there. Yeah, yeah. And, and just to, to clarify one thing, we actually transferred the site from .co to Digibyte.io for those listening. So okay. it's okay. Yeah, there we go. All the kids, well, all the cool kids are doing it. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a new thing in the tech world, I guess. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, no, we have an amazing community. Um, you know, Digibyte's uh, going on five years old now. And uh, it's it's just been truly humbling, you know, the the outpouring of at this point, it's hundreds of thousands of people uh, that have been involved with Digibyte one way or another, you know, across the, the globe over the last five years. So, yeah, it's, it's it's an amazing community. If you could maybe give us the overall vision of Digibyte, what made you decide to create Digibyte five years ago? And, and maybe how is it different from some of these other platforms that were available at the time and, you know, 
what's available now because the world has shifted a little bit in these last five years. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely been a roller coaster ride the last five years. There's no doubt about it. But, you know, uh, I guess to make it a quick story, uh, you know, I first discovered Bitcoin in 2012. I was blown away. I was like, wow, this technology is going to change the world. But, you know, I started out as a Bitcoin miner. And I started seeing some problems that were going to arise uh, when I was going through the code in, in 2012, 2013. And, you know, I was like, hey, you know, what if we did some things and, and actually improved on the protocol? And uh, that's when I started work on, on Digibyte in the fall of, of 2013. But I realized that a lot of these changes probably weren't going to be merged into the, the Bitcoin core protocol. So I was like, you know, let's, uh, let's create something new and test this out. Um, so Digibyte was actually launched on January 10th, 2014, and it was launched with the Genesis block of uh, Target from the headline from USA Today, Target, 110 million customers' data stolen. And, you know, since that point, we have worked to make the quickest, the fastest, and the most secure blockchain we we possibly could. So, you know, over the last five years, we've done a series of improvements that have now basically put Digibyte in a situation where in terms of pure UTXO blockchains, uh, Digibyte's actually the fastest, the most decentralized, and it's actually the longest chain. Uh, we're actually longer than any other uh, major public blockchain out there with over 6 million blocks. So it's kind of like looking at what Bitcoin would be like in like the year 2100, you know, in terms of uh, the actual, uh, you know, blockchain length. So there's, there's been some interesting things that we've encountered along the way uh, to solve some problems uh, that we've ran into that, you know, these brand new blockchains haven't even got to yet. And, uh, you know, over the course of the last five years, a lot of other chains, um, all the way from, you know, Zcash, even partially in Ethereum uh, and, you know, Bitcoin Cash and many others have actually uh, adopted and implemented some of the technology we've pioneered over the last five years. So hey, Mr. Yeah, that's great. So size matters is what you're saying. You have the longest, biggest blockchain of all. Is that genetics? <laughs> possibly, possibly. But uh, <laughs> how, how, how is yours bigger? Is it like you have like much smaller block sizes or how is, how is the difference in the, with, with those block sizes? So part of the reason we have a longer chain um, is because we have 15 second block time. So if you know with, uh, with Bitcoin, it's 10 minutes. So we, we actually have for every one Bitcoin block, we'll have 40 blocks. So that's actually how we're able to handle a lot more transactions and we're, and how we're able to scale. But due to that speed, um, basically, obviously we have, you know, 40 times more block coming. We, we've encountered some issues, you know, for instance, with like mobile wallets, right? You know, um, how do you make something that's decentralized and has that much data that has to be processed to actually share it? So we've done some things, we've improved some things that I would think eventually would probably be merged uh, even into Bitcoin, uh, just as it starts facing some of those problems. Well, just to uh, add some perspective here so people know more about the coin, it's uh, as of this date, timestamp recording uh, June 5th, although this will air a few days later of 2018, Digibyte is number 50 on coin market cap with a uh, cap of 300, almost 352 million. There's uh, 10 billion, 350 million 
DGB tokens out there and uh, price as of now sitting around 3.3 cents during the January bull run hit as high as 12 and of course uh, like all tokens that got their start uh, was was much lower before and so you've got a really rabid fan base out there there's a lot of support for Digibyte what do, what do people like the most about this blockchain well I think what people like the most is is really what differentiates us is, you know, we were never an ICO. Uh, there was never a massive pre-mine. There was never, you know, just a, a central entity behind it. It's actually been completely driven by volunteers and, and people donating their time and development, um, you know, experience over the past five years. So in that regard, it's, it's a very grassroots blockchain and I think a lot of people are, are drawn to that because it, it really kind of mirrors that original vision that Satoshi had, uh, you know, with his with his white paper and the original uh, launching of the Bitcoin protocol. So that's that's kind of what we've tried to adhere to. And, you know, the beauty of it is since it is decentralized and nobody controls it, you know, it, it essentially uh, can at this point live in it infinitely, you know, so there you don't have to worry about uh, a central company, um, you know, going under or running off with uh, the, the ICO or the pre So what is so, the Digi Foundation then if there's no central organization? So the Digibyte Foundation was an effort that was put together by a bunch of volunteers, uh, myself included, and a handful of other people. Um, it was started last fall as kind of a way to help, uh, you know, continue development. Um, but at this time, there is effectively, there's, there's no salary employees. It's all volunteer. Uh, but the mission is to help encourage awareness and to help encourage development of uh, of the blockchain, continued development into the future. But uh, I wouldn't say it's it's by any means a controlling entity behind the blockchain. Very good. I, I'm curious about this. So just recently, Charlie Lee had commented about Digibyte and uh, was talking about how maybe it's not more it's not more secure than Litecoin. But it, it, it was talking about your five algo your five algorithm system. And maybe explain what that is, because I know that probably a lot of our listeners don't really know what it is that is that separates Digibyte from some of these other cryptos. So basically, instead of using one single mining algorithm for proof of work like Litecoin and Bitcoin does, uh, Digibyte actually uses five separate ones. So what that means is you could effectively take all the Bitcoin mining power in the world and throw it at Digibyte, and you would only get a maximum of 20% of the blocks because each algorithm is is rewarded proportionally 20% of the blocks. Um, and you can actually take all the, the Litecoin mining power in the world as well and throw it at Digibyte, and you would only get 20%. So that's where, you know, I, I love Charlie. Uh, you know, I respect him. He's done a lot for the community. But in this fact, you know, he's, he's just playing wrong because one of the things we figured out and what we developed and pioneered with Digibyte was something called DigiShield. And currently, there's a massive vulnerability, and I've talked about this at length uh, at various events, and it's a bug, effectively, that's within Bitcoin and Litecoin, in that it takes two weeks for the difficulty to retarget and adjust. And so there, there's some various mining attacks. It's, it's actually this, the same problem that happened when Bitcoin Cash forced from Bitcoin last summer. Uh, you know, I was on... yeah. It's Bcash now, yes. So when Bcash forked off, I, I was on Twitter. I'm like, hey, you know, it, it's going to be weeks, possibly days, you know, hours before they even find a block because of the the problem that's effectively been in the in the Bitcoin protocol from the beginning. That's also in Litecoin, 
that is yet to be fixed. And so how we fixed this was with a real-time difficulty adjustment, which we call DigiShield, and then updated to MultiShield. And what that allows to happen is to maintain the integrity and the security of how often these blocks come into into circulation. So uh, that's where you know a lot of other blockchains have actually implemented that same approach uh, in order to fix this problem. So and that includes Bcash, Zcash, and, and and dozens of other blockchains. So that is why, combined with the fact that Digibyte has five independent mining algorithms, so you can't get a monopoly, you actually need to take over ninety three percent of one algorithm and fifty one percent of the other four in order to fifty one percent attack us. But because of the way that DigiShield and MultiShield works, it doesn't matter how much hash rate. Like I said, you could take all the hash rate in the world for Litecoin and Bitcoin, point it at Digibyte, and you could still not 51% attack it. Hard for it. So who's so, who's using it? Are there any mass adoption cases yet? And, and, you know, why should somebody use Digibyte over, oh, I don't know, Dogecoin or Stellar Lumens or, or any other crypto? Well, you know, first and foremost, we've, we've had a committed group of volunteers that have been working on this project for five five years now, myself included, right? You know, we, we all could have up and gone and left. I mean, if you look at a lot of the leading projects in this space, and I, I don't want to mention names here, but you've got the same people that have moved from project to project to project, you know, basically just pumping and dumping and cashing out. And, you know, Digibyte's different in that we have remained committed and dedicated to just improving what we have. And, and we'll continue to do that into the future. But in terms of your question about use cases, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, we have been kind of the pioneers and the leaders, you know, explaining to people uh, that blockchain technology applied on top of a truly decentralized public ledger can fix 95% of the cybersecurity vulnerabilities out there in the world today. So uh, we've been working on, on some pretty innovative solutions. Um, I actually spent... Uh, a few years in Hong Kong working on a product that has actually been securing international trade shipments in the Digibyte blockchain for, uh, you know, well over a year now. I'm currently working on another project that's actually bringing real estate um, on top of the Digibyte blockchain. Uh, there's been an awesome community effort to replace uh, like SMS two-factor verification. So like imagine logging into a website and just using your wallet keys, not needing to remember passwords and other stuff. Um, that's that's what we call DigiID. So if you go to digi-id.io, the document company that's that's being used to, to do international trade and other stuff, that's called digusign.com, D-I-G-U-S-I-G-N. Yeah, so there's, there's several things that have been implemented. And we're in the process of building more developer tools so that way we can get a larger ecosystem and more people building on top of the Digibyte blockchain. Uh, because at, at this point, it's it's significantly more scalable and you're able to do more things than you can on top of, of Bitcoin or Litecoin or, or, or some of the other blockchains that are basically filled up. So you mentioned a couple of things there. You mentioned earlier, you mentioned DigiShield, you mentioned DigiID, and then now DigiSign. Uh, what what are those different initiatives? And, you know, are, are you separating those into own, their own separate projects? Are they all part of the, the DigiByte you know, blockchain project overall, well, you're just kind of segmenting them out. How, how's that yeah, work? No, they're, they're working on an independent basis. So, you know, for instance, DigiSign is actually a privately held company in Hong Kong that's just basically using open source technology and that's what it's being built upon. That'll be the same way with like this real estate company. But in something like DigiID, that was actually a completely community-driven effort. 
it's all open source. It's, it's on GitHub. You can go check it out. So a lot of these specific projects, whether it's individual wallets, whether it's, it's other individual things, um, you know, they're, they're really up to, you know, the, the community of developers that are helping to support it. I mean, I contribute to some of them, but there's, there's dozens of developers at this point. Uh, like there's been probably hundreds over the last five years that have committed, you know, or, or, um, contributed in various ways. Uh, there are other, you know, initiatives. I mean, if, if you look at all the exchanges that are exchanging Digibyte, those are businesses using it. If you look at some of the payment processors, uh, if you look at some of the other things, I mean, there's there's probably, I would imagine, at least 100 companies or more that are, are using Digibyte some other way. So there's a lot of people uh, that have been interested in doing various things. But, you know, overall, this industry is very much still in its infancy. You know, people are are just kind of now figuring out what works, what doesn't work, what actually makes sense, what doesn't make sense. So, you know, that's... Uh, you know, that's kind of how the, the state of the industry, but yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely growing very rapidly. And, and it seems like every day I'm hearing about uh, some, some new company that's, that's adding Digibyte to their platform in, in some way. So it's, it's very much a decentralized ecosystem and it's, it's, it's continuing to grow. What, what do you think that this is a combination of a couple questions that came from the community? The, what do you think are the three biggest reasons that Digibyte hasn't seen mass adoption yet, even though we are, you know, still in the early phases of crypto and, and what kind of marketing strategies, you know, might be used uh, in the next year to get more attention and, and adoption? Well, you know, I think it's important for people to understand a few things. You know, when you go to coin market cap and you see Digibyte's number 50, you know, people need to understand that a lot of the projects that are ahead of it, you know, aren't even actual functioning blockchains. And a lot of times you have completely centralized companies behind them. And a lot of the other, you know, considered public chains were very, very heavily pre-mined. And you have a handful of developers that are sitting on the majority of these points and it's artificially inflating some of these market caps. You know, I'm not saying that that's the wrong approach. Obviously, you know, people are doing it and, and they're they're advancing this technology. But, you know, when you take a company like Ripple that's got 100% pre-mine of all their coins, you know, their market cap is much more artificially inflated than a truly decentralized grassroots blockchain uh, that is, is actually probably much more widespread. And that's why it appears we have such a massive community because there's actually just more people involved. But, you know, I think the market is starting to correct. Um, you know, I don't I don't like to make predictions, but, you know, it's been one of those things. If you went back to 2014, Digibyte was probably in the 40s. Uh, if you go back to 2015, it was probably in the 40 to 50 range. But over the last four and a half years, the majority of coins in the top 50, if you took like a six month snapshot, every every six months you took a snapshot, a lot of those projects are dead. You know, they hype up and they die. They hype up and they die. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like I, I saw that article that came out not too long ago that only 8% of, of, uh, of ICOs and blockchain projects actually survive longer than 15 months. So, you know, you, you see a lot of, of, you know, this kind of pump and dump group. And whereas Digibyte has, has been a much more sustainable, long-term uh, consistent, you know, project. So, and, and as we continue to grow, uh, you know, to be honest, I, I mean, I take a lot of criticism all the time for not being the marketing master. Um, it's definitely something we can improve on, but we, we've kind of always held by the idea if we build good, solid technology, 
you know, eventually people are going to find out about it. But it, it's also hard to do when you don't have a massive disposable budget, you know, to go to go do a bunch of marketing when it's a, a truly kind of community decentralized driven effort. So that's that's one of the challenges for sure. I wanted to say this because I know that whenever you and I had the conversation in the Cayman Islands back in October of last year, whenever we first met, you were talking about how you didn't have the big massive pre-mine. You, all of the tokens that you've personally got, you have gotten from mining them yourself. You never, you didn't give yourself a pre-mine and which I think that's very commendable. Now, well, if you look at some of these other ones, as you just mentioned, like Ripple and all these other pre-mines and, and how the CEO and the, the, the founders and some of the top devs have millions of coins and how they've sort of, you know, able to sort of be market movers on, on these coins because of the sheer volume that they have. And maybe that's kind of missing from, from your guys because you've really taken this sort of grassroots approach where everyone who has Digibyte is one who has mined it themselves or, or purchased them themselves. So maybe, maybe hindsight being 2020, would you go back and do that exact same thing moving forward? Do you think that, do you think that's the best approach? How has that maybe hamstrung you guys? And what are you going to do kind of moving forward to, to maybe gain some more capital so then you can utilize that to, to grow your marketing efforts? Well, so, you know, if I, if I went back in time to change things, I mean, obviously I, I, I would have maybe streamlined some things, but overall I would say I would do it the same way because you know, from 2014, 2015, 2016, th those were some pretty dark years in the blockchain industry. And if, if we had done a massive, you know, raise or company and there was a bunch of expectations, I think it would have been a lot harder to survive through that era. But more importantly, I really, truly believe that we're in a much more sustain sustainable position than the majority of these projects out there. You know, because we've got a proven, working, battle-tested, battle-hardened technology. And it's truly decentralized. And moving forward, we envision a situation where there are multiple commercial entities built on top of Digibyte that at the same time help turn around and kick back and, and contribute to the open source development, you know, similar to like how, how the Linux operating system functions, you know, you've got the open source Linux kernel and, and look how many devices it powers across the globe. But yet you have multiple commercial entities that are built on top of the Linux operating system. Um, and I myself am in the process of, uh, and I, I really haven't disclosed anything publicly. I don't want to give too much away, uh, but I've been hard at work on a new project that, you know, we are planning on raising a very substantial amount of money, doing it in a regulated fashion and really bringing some innovative technology from our experience over the last five years to, to a very usable uh, platform on top of Digibyte uh, in the real estate sector. Oh, come on, give us, give us. Give us give us more hints here. I mean, you just teased us, and this is the place. This is a safe space right here, Jared. You can tell us what's happening. <laughs> well, I think my co-founders would probably uh, be after me, but uh, basically, you know, we're we're going to bring uh, uh, real estate to the Digibyte blockchain, and we're going to do it in a in a secure way, and we're going to do it in a regulated way. So it's uh, it's an exciting time. Uh, you know, we've got we're working hard, but you know, that's my personal project as well as, you know, still continuing to, uh, to, to help work on the core protocol. But yeah, there's, there's, uh, there's a lot of exciting stuff. So, I mean, I, I know uh, 2018, especially the fall is going to be a, an exciting time. Well, you know, it would seem like, uh, here's a question actually from 
one of the community, they're like, can't Facebook theoretically buy 2 billion coins at the current price, fix a lot of the problems, and wouldn't this be a, a best and least expensive acquisition so they could use this as, you know, their token? You know, I've thought for a while, um, you know, absolutely, any any big company out there could do that and, and absolutely integrate Digibyte and, and receive a lot of benefits. You know, they, they, they really could. You know, it's it's something it's like, OK, I don't want to, like, give investment advice to people. But, you know, yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. They could uh, they could implement it, you know, as quick as Digibyte is because it's just a, a few seconds. A lot of people use Digibyte, you know, for arbitrage between exchanges because you just can't. You know, I sent a Bitcoin transaction the other day. It took three hours for it to go through. You know, I can turn around and resend Digibytes in, in less than two minutes. And basically, there's no fees involved. So it really does make a lot more sense you know, for some sort of digital platform for transactional payments. It's proven technology. You know, it's been out there. It's been slowly improved, but securely improved. And, and we've never had a major incident. You know, we've been attacked numerous times, uh, but today none of them have been successful. So, um, you know, it, it's in this space, five years of battle-hardened experience, I think, is, is worth its weight in gold, especially for a new company that's coming into this space. That's looking for a proven, uh, a scalable blockchain. Yeah. Now, a lot of people, they come into this and they, they're looking for the latest and the greatest. This ICO craze has sort of taken off, right, with, with Ethereum and everything being built upon that with smart contracts and, and, and dApps. Now, is that something that, you know, Digibyte can be utilized for? Can people build, like you were talking about building something with, in the real estate space, but you can't go into it yet. Is that sort of like dApps? Is it sort of like Ethereum where people can build on top of Digibyte with smart contracts? Or is that something that you're going to be maybe looking into in the future? Or what are your what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely DAPs. I mean, like this real estate thing, we're going to be doing identity management. We're going to be doing asset issuance on top. We're going to be doing, uh, you know, obviously the the payment mechanisms. Um, there's numerous ways. But yeah, uh, it's very much been possible. We've actually issued some assets and stuff. It's been possible for quite some time. Uh, you know, it's actually been possible even with Bitcoin going back to 2013, 2014. The problem is that industry never really took off because the Bitcoin blockchain was full. There wasn't enough room. Uh, but once you have a scalable, you know, because right now we can do about 560 transactions per second. Every two years, we're going to double uh, that capacity. Uh, you have the ability to, to build much more scalable dApps on top of Digibyte than you basically do on top of Bitcoin or Litecoin or, or most of the other, you know, blockchains. Yeah, it's definitely, definitely in the works. And, and like I said, it's, it's, you know, we've had a platform like, like DigiSign out there that's incorporated all this stuff. They really didn't have anything to do with payments, but it, it managed identity. It managed, uh, you know, the security of documents, uh, users. Uh, there's so many things you can do once you have that blockchain and that network in place. Uh, and that's actually why I'm, I'm in the process. I'm writing a book called Blockchain 2035. And the premise is, you know, there'll be 21 billion digibytes created and the last one will be mined in the year 2035. But more importantly, to help people understand how this technology can be used in more ways than, than just payments, you know, how it can affect the insurance industry, how it can affect the real estate industry, how it can affect uh, the legal profession, uh, you know, and on and on and on. It, but all kind of centered around cybersecurity because, you know, effectively, the Internet as we know it today is broken. Uh, the architecture is, is flawed. 
So I'm looking at the uh, website right now, digibyte.io, and a lot of information here. And you guys have a lot of wallets. It looks like the only one that is not available yet for a platform is iOS. So when will that be coming out? Well, you know, it's actually ready to go right now, but we have been going back and forth. We actually had an iOS wallet on the iTunes store way back even as soon as 2015. Um, it was actually removed. Apple never told us why. Um, and we have been in the appeals process for well over a year now to try and get that reinstated. So if anybody listening is, is, uh, you know, works at Apple, like we could, we could use some help with that, but it's actually ready to go right now. You can actually sign up for the, the, the beta test. Uh, if you go to like one of our Telegram channels and you can install it. Um, I, I actually use it all the time. So, um, yeah, you know, we, we definitely have several wallet platforms. Uh, there's a lot of good ones out there. We have the, the core desktop wallets. Uh, Exodus wallet's a great one. Um, you know, Ledger, uh, Trezor, you know, the hardware wallets, you know, we, 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 there's quite a selection, but, uh, yeah, we are working actively, you know, and it's, it's really not up to us. It's, it's up to Apple. So how does, how does somebody mine Digibyte? Well, so you basically want to pick which algorithm. So there's five. So you have SHA256, which is the same one that's used with Bitcoin. You have script, which is the same algorithm that's used with Litecoin. Uh, you've got three others. You've got scheme, Quibit, and Grossel. Uh, and then the easiest way from there is if you have like graphics cards or if you have some used ASICs, um, you want to point them at a mining pool. And at this point, I think there's probably hundreds of mining pools. Uh, I know the last time we updated the, the market, or I mean, we did a soft fork last year. Uh, we were actually the first ones to activate SegWit. Uh, before Litecoin and Bitcoin did in April of 2017. And I think we ended up approaching probably 150 mining pools, letting them know, hey, we've updated the protocol. So there's tons of options out there. Um, so you pick a mining pool and then uh, there's plenty of guides and, uh, you know, you can start start mining. You know, and, and it's part of the idea with Digibyte was, hey, let's make sure we can take, for instance, all the Bitcoin mining power in the world with all the ASICs and giant factories of miners in China and other places on the planet and put them on par and keep it competitive with, you know, somebody that's a gamer that has a desktop with a few graphics cards. I mean, that's how I started mining Bitcoin back in 2012. I just had my gaming PC and I remember I was able to get like almost a Bitcoin a day. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that was yeah, 2012. Those are, those, are, those are good times way back in the day, Mr. Jared Tate. Yeah, those days, those days have passed oh, back in the old days. Um, so you know, it, it, it's interesting. So, are you know, one of the questions that came through from your community is, is about you know proof of stake. Is that something that might be implemented in the future? Or are there any types of um, you know enhancements to the Digibyte blockchain pertaining to consensus that you guys might change down the road? Or are you guys kind of uh, good with the way that it is currently? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think there's always room for improvement. So kind of the background on this question is in early January last year, a lot of the community was like, hey, you know, we can't really mine with our graphics cards like we used to. But obviously the community has dramatically grown since then. So obviously there's more miners involved. But what we found out is that there's these secret ASIC manufacturers that have been building ASICs for different algorithms. Uh, and so now there's actually ASICs for all Digibyte algorithms. I mean, I don't know if you guys remember with Monero, there, supposedly there was a, a, a secret company that made uh, uh, miners for Monero that basically had 51% of the hash rate for almost a year before anybody noticed it. Wow. So, you know, now that 
you know, because it doesn't really make sense for these mining companies to invest millions of dollars and then let everybody know that they're they're mining, right? And especially something like Digibyte, where we have always told people we could swap algorithms out. So we were planning on doing that um, for a couple different algorithms, uh, you know, Equihash and then potentially Fhash. Well, last two or three months, you know, it came out that there's these these new ASICs, these new secret ASICs that kind of uh, completely make the whole concept of it being a GPU-friendly algorithm null and void. So, you know, the ASIC problem is a really tough one to solve. And, and, you know, as time has gone on, I've kind of opened to the idea that, you know, do we really need to, you know, to to do that? Uh, it's nice. But the one attractive idea that's been bounced around in the community is what if we take one of the algorithms and replace it with a proof of stake mechanism? So we have a hybrid, we have the security of proof of work, but we have the incentive for people to stake and, you know, run full nodes and to keep their wallets open. So that's, that's a very attractive idea. It's a very real possibility. Um, you know, I would say it's not up to me. I mean, I can just give my two cents, but at the end of the day, it's a very decentralized system and any changes need to be carefully thought out and tested, especially now that it's, it's much bigger than it was, you know, even 12 months ago. You know, when you start having hundreds of millions of dollars involved, uh, people, people get pretty sensitive if you, if you mess something up. It's a crypto world. We don't give two cents anymore. You have to like give Satoshis or something if you're going to give your two cents. So, th- uh, three rapid fire questions for you that, um, these are more challenging questions from people asking you kind of like, Hey, Jared, why this? So, uh, keep your answers brief. Just let's get right to it. Here they are. Why are you the only person on the general fund wallet and not under the Digibyte Foundation? Uh, so that general fund wallet is kept under the foundation. So at this point in time, um, it's basically the old style wallet, and we have yet to convert it over to a new wallet. So that's Got part it. of the plan. Why has the name of the people under marketing and dev wallets been removed? So here's what happened. After I got hacked, I've had people coming after my family. I've had death threats. Uh, some of these other members on the foundation started doing and experiencing the same thing. So I actually was the one that made that decision. And since nobody is actually being paid a salary and it's completely volunteer, I did that to protect people. Yeah, fair enough. And finally, why is the foundation not legally registered anywhere? So we were planning on doing that in the Cayman Islands. We had a deal to do it for about $5,000. The law firm we were working with kind of backed out on that and then said it would be 30, 35, 40. And that is pretty much all the money that's actually held in the foundation at this point. So if we did that, it would completely wipe it out. I also have a question. So whenever we, t- we chatted back in, I believe it was in October, maybe it was, maybe we, we ended up t- chatting about this in like October, November, maybe it was d- even December. You had asked me to, to be part of the Digibyte Foundation as an advisor. And I think I said, yeah. And so I guess I'm technically an advisor to the Digibyte Foundation, but I don't know what I'm supposed to do. What, what am I supposed to Give do? Give him advice. Well, yeah, I mean, what you're doing right now, you know, it works perfect. Asking questions and helping inform people. Well, um, where's, my, where's my damn Digibyte tokens then? Do I well, go mine them? That's, that's the problem, right? <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, you know, we're, we're uh, you know, in the process of, of getting the community's input. Um, you know, one of these things you, you've got – when you have a decentralized system, everybody wants to come in and pitch and help, right? But a lot of times you start getting these these internal politics and uh, uh, some very kind of frustrating, immature things start happening. So 
you know, it's hard on one side when you have everybody being a volunteer, uh, you know, helping with stuff. Uh, but then at the same time, you know, you're trying to, to keep things moving forward. Um, so it's, it's definitely a challenging situation to be in, and, you know, and that's, that's one of the things, you know, that's, that's been, I guess, you know, challenging over the last, uh, last few months. Is there a possibility where you could potentially like say, okay, we're going to have an enhancement to this so we can pre-mine, we're going to, we're going to pre-mine it, uh, you know, the next 2 million blocks or the next 2 million tokens worth of blocks. We're going to pre-mine them for the foundation for use as of marketing or whatever. So maybe somehow like Dash is doing it where a percentage of all coins that are mined are going into this fund that are then used for initiatives that are like marketing or whatever, but it's voted on by the community or something. Is that something that you maybe thought about implementing within Digibyte? Is, is that even a possibility where you could say, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's vote on this. Should we do this? Can we pre-mine some so we can use this for marketing purposes because we don't have that now? Or is that even possible? Yeah, I mean, so it's something that's an idea we talked about. You know, we could effectively hard fork and take, you know, 20%, like one algorithm and, uh, you know, have that channel to a foundation, right? But I personally, you know, with that idea, have kind of had issues with it. And I've ran it past a lot of people in the community because at that point, you, you become a much more centralized system. And you, instead of having, you know, no real major attack vectors, you have one entity that can, can be attacked, whether it's by governments, whether it's by hackers, you know, it becomes a significant problem. So it's, it's really, you know, like I said, at the end of the day, it's not really something that's up to me, but it's, it's definitely a possibility. However, you know, you're then be, you're, you're putting a lot of trust uh, and responsibility on just a handful of individuals, you know, and, and, and num- I've seen numerous projects where this has happened, uh, you know, fail, you know, whether the company goes under or whether the entity's hacked, you know, essentially, you know, and, and in this day and age, uh, you know, like I, I just had my identity stolen and somebody walked into a Verizon store uh, basically got Verizon to issue him a new SIM card, took over my phone number, and from there started resetting wait, wait, all my did accounts. They have a photo and, ID, uh, or how did that happen? I I don't know how they did, um, but they managed. I had the highest level of security required possible. Uh, you know, it was a pain for me even to change stuff with my Verizon account. So you're, you're the very first one that I've heard that's that's had Verizon as a problem. So th- th- that same thing happened to me back in episode. I think badco.in forward slash zero four zero or somewhere around there where I got hacked. Somebody did social engineering, contacted T-Mobile, acted like they were me. They used my social security number from the dark web, were able to get my SIM card to switch. And they did that thing where they then switched my Gmail, uh, my personal email, they, you know, my Twitter account, my Apple ID, that whole thing. And you're the very first one that I've ever heard that that's happened with, with Verizon. So how, how, how exactly were they able to do this? Were you able to pinpoint it? If, if they actually went into the store, did they have video footage of that? And how were you able to resolve it? Well, see, here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Like Verizon's actually not cooperating on this at all. And I've actually had numerous people reach out to me that have had the same problem. So, and it's a problem with all of them. It's not just T-Mobile. It's not Verizon. It's the fact that, you know, SMS, especially, you know, the, the ability to reset something through a phone number, it's just not secure. You know, you can't trust it. And I think this is something you're going to see much, much more in the blockchain crypto space. 
you know, I, I think you're going to see more high profile targets, more hacks. I think companies, um, you know, because one of the dangers is when you have a central entity that's controlling, you know, tens of thousands and then some of these groups, millions of dollars, uh, you know, you, you have some very sophisticated groups of people that have all the time in the world to come after these people. Uh, and, and once somebody gets into your private keys and, and takes over and cleans the wallet out, there's not much you can do. Well, this is uh, it, it's definitely scary that um, that this can happen. And hopefully you've not lost much. Well, you know, luckily, I mean, everybody called kind of called me a security nut, but I had taken some extreme measures uh, with different phone numbers, never using the same password, different emails, encrypted, you know, all sorts of stuff. And it's like, I know that I'm doing things way more than, you know, probably 99% of the people out there are just because, you know, I've I've had kind of continued hacking attempts for the last couple of years now. But I know if this happened to me, it, it can absolutely happen to anybody. And that's where I go back to you know, the fundamental architecture of the way technology, the internet, and these ma- major companies are working, they're all vulnerable. You know, whether it's just flat out pure hacking or social engineering, I mean, you know, it takes 30 seconds, you know, on a, on a Google search and maybe pay five, 10 bucks, and, and you can have almost every address where somebody lived, their social security number, all their personal information. It's, it's completely all out there because of the vulnerabilities and systems that exist at the state and federal level, especially in the United States. So that's why I go back to this technology can be used to re-architect a lot of these legacy systems. And that's what people, I think, really need to be talking about is, is the cybersecurity implement, implementations of blockchain technology. So what can people do to secure themselves? Because that scares people when they know, oh, my God, Jared Tate, who is a security nut, who loves this and has locked his down the best that he can, and he gets hacked like. What, what's to stop? Because to me, that seems like it's a barrier for mass adoption. People are like, oh, my God, somebody like him has gotten hacked. Somebody like Travis of Bad Crypto, who literally was the digital strategist at Semantic, right? He, he got hacked. So what's to stop me from getting hacked, right? And so what can people do to protect themselves in this crazy, crazy crypto jungle? Well, you know, first and foremost, one of the things I see on Telegram, on Twitter, is when people get on there and they start boasting about how much money they make, you know, or how much they got invested or this or that, you know, um, or YouTube videos. You know, if you're really like a large player, I wouldn't let anybody know. I mean, that's that's kind of half the battle, right, is when somebody can identify you. I mean, it's to the point now where I have people that are that are actually spoofing emails that are like personal emails from my mother and my brother and my grandmother, you know, uh, trying to get me to, to click on spear phishing links. So uh, that's another thing. Don't click on random stuff and make sure you actually validate the, the D mark on a record because there's tons of people uh, in this space, you know, getting spooked. How do you validate the D mark? So there's a setting if the domain is set up properly, like we have people all the time that are spoofing Digibyte emails, it'll basically come back and say, hey, this failed the DMARC validation uh, because it didn't come from the correct server and IP address that this mail server is going to be on. Is that, so is that, that an that's extension that you can add on like Chrome or, or something? Or is it something within your email? Because that's not something that I've done before. Yeah, it's definitely something I think if you go, well, first of all, I use ProtonMail. I would highly recommend that because it's it's truly encrypted. You know, it's not like Google or, or Microsoft where those companies can like basically look and have a backdoor in your email whenever they want. Uh, but there are some settings you should be able to enable to automatically reject. And if you own a domain, you know, like that crypto, what is it, .com or whatever you are, 
Yeah. You know, you can actually, with your email provider, you can set up a strict DMARC record where you basically reject, it signals um, any outbound email to reject emails coming from that domain if they're not coming from your specific mail server. And a lot of major companies don't even do that, which is surprising. But it's, it's more like a standard. And, and, you know, that cuts down on a lot of the spear phishing, uh, you know, and random stuff that people try and send through email. You know, the other thing to protect yourself is don't rely on SMS two-factor. Uh, so text message two-factor. Don't link that to any financial information. Use like Google Authenticator, um, you know, or Offy or, or, or some system like that, or even better, DigiID, which is a blockchain-based system. You know, and that's it's it's in it's in its infancy, but uh, you know, we're working to to get that out there in the wild some more, so people can get familiar with it. But you know, yeah, definitely anything relying on your phone number is just not secure. You know, going through like Proton Mail. Now the downside is something like Proton Mail. Like I even have uh, a two factor on that, not SMS, but a different one. So if I ever forget that password or if I ever, you know, don't have the two factor device, I'm completely locked out of everything. So that is the downside. You know, you have to have key management. So, you know, it really is up to the individual person to kind of determine and do an assessment of like, Hey, how vulnerable am I? You know, how, how likely is this, am I to be attacked? But like I said, if you're on Telegram or if you're on Twitter and, and you're on YouTube and you're making videos about how much money you're making in the crypto space, uh, you're just putting a target on yourself. Well, this has been great, Jared. We appreciate you coming and spending some time answering these questions. Is there anything else that you want to share with the citizens of the Republic of bad cryptopia and your Digibyte community about uh, where Digibyte is headed? Anything you want to announce, put out there? Uh, you know, well, first and foremost, we'd like to warmly welcome, uh, you know, all your listeners to come check out Digibyte, come join the community, check out digibyte.io, uh, you know, go to the uh, Telegram chats, get involved if you're a developer. Um, you know, we every day there, it seems like there's there's just new stuff, new companies, new new uh, partnerships. You know, it's it's a lot of it's like, you know, and it's amazing. There's probably a couple dozen people working full time to go out there and do this stuff. So, like I said, it's all volunteer. Nobody's getting paid. Um, you know, it's it's uh, it's an amazing community. Um, you know, I personally will be revealing more about what I'm working on uh, in my next next thing here in the next couple months. But, you know, I want to make sure I got all the ducks ducks ready. Uh, we're open uh, to improving the protocol. You know, there's a lot of ongoing discussions on the best way to do it. But before we do something, I think uh, we all want to make sure that we're doing the best possible thing. Uh, but, you know, we, uh, you know, we're really excited about where this technology is going. Uh, it's here to stay. And, uh, you know, we're, we're uh, very happy to, to, to be a part of it. And uh, like I said, we warmly welcome everybody to, to come join the Digibyte community. Excellent. Well, thanks again, Jared. Appreciate it. You guys go check it out, digibyte.io. And uh, thanks again. We appreciate I just said that. Yeah, thank you. Well, there you go. Great interview with Jared. And thank you, Mr. Tate, for joining us. And we'll have more interviews coming your way in future episodes of the Bad Crypto Podcast. And crypto will pump you up. Yeah. Pump pump up. Well, we don't pump and dump. <laughs> well, we, we don't pump and dump you up. <laughs> we pump them up and you dump. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, we got to end this podcast because I got to go. Oh. <laughs> He's got to run. He's got no. Oh my gosh, this is going downhill quick, um, down the tubes as it were. I I, I kind of want to take back that whole last sixty seconds. 
I kind of, I kind of do too. I think we owe folks that sixty seconds of their life back. So, so if you if they guys, made it this far, if they made it this far though, they are troopers. If they made it this far, they deserve a free share of a stock. What do you say? Mm, let's do that. Let's give them a free share of a stock. That is, if you guys have listened this far. You deserve. Well, we're stock. not going to give it to them, but the Robinhood app will. If you guys haven't signed up for this yet, the Robinhood app is uh, available in the iOS app store and the for Android and Google Play and wherever else you download for Android phones. And this is a, a pretty cool app that allows you to trade stocks and Bitcoin with zero fees, none fees and when you use the link no none, none fees when you use the link that travis is going to give you to download it um, and you get it all set up you will get a free share of a stock that is valued it's random which one you'll get from their pool of stocks but it could be apple it could be sprint um it could be chesapeake energy it could be zinga yep, it could be groupon it could be there's a bunch of different ones when there's some that even some Berkshire Hathaway stock, I think they said they have yeah. in there. They probably don't give you a full one, but oh my God, if they gave out one of those, that was, that's just yeah. ridiculous. But uh, it's a great app. I've been using it quite a little bit to uh, trade uh, stocks on, and I'll just compile stocks. I haven't been, I'm not really trading stocks. I'm just kind of compiling a few. There's been some really interesting ones that have popped up that I know in Asia that I've been having an eye on and that have been doing pretty well. So that's good stuff. And if you want to uh, to check out Robinhood, go to badco.in forward slash Robinhood. And uh, that will give you as our affiliate code. You get a share of stock. We get a share of stock. And uh, everybody's and you get stock. a share and you get a share and you get a share. Yeah. Everybody gets a share. And uh, we appreciate you guys listening. More content coming your way soon. Travis and I are on the road. And uh, as you listen to this, we might actually be driving the Lambos and Ferraris in uh, muscle cars right now. Like while you're listening, we're ch- you, can you channel us your, mm. your, uh, your, your sports car good vibes? Mm. That's pretty fancy. I mean, here we are. Who would have thought, Mr. Joel Calm, that when we decided to create this podcast all those years ago, I mean months ago, <laughs> we'd be driving in Lambos uh, on the moon? Because I'm pretty sure that's where they shot the moon landing. Was Yeah, no, the moon. Actually, we never went to the moon. That's a big conspiracy theory. <laughs> the moon landing was somewhere in Nevada or New Mexico. I mean, somewhere in 51. <laughs> where the aliens are at. Yeah, yeah, but we, we're not we're not moon landing. And, uh, and Jimmy Hoffa's there too. Wow, it's pretty amazing. I just want to let you guys know we love you and stay bad. Who's bad? The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoin's and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor.